And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, and today we're going to talk to Emily Cow, the director of the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Religious and Civil Society at the Heritage Foundation, which strives to formulate and promote conservative public policy in the United States. I'm an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Mauk and Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning to nonprofit administration and religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to mountbaker.com. That's M A U C K B A K E R.com or calling 312 726 1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith and the law. As an attorney, Emily Cow has defended religious freedom for the last 14 years in East Asia, the Middle East, Europe, and South Asia at the State Department's Office of International Religious Freedom and at Beckett Law. Emily, welcome to our show. Thank you. Emily, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Center for Religious and Civil Society and what you do there? Sure. Well, we have three priorities. We defend life, marriage, and religious liberty. We focus on formulating federal policy. Um, So we make recommendations to Congress and to the Trump administration on how to protect um, these three areas. Um, We've written a lot of research um, on how to protect the First Amendment. Um, We've advised Congress on legislation like the First Amendment Defense Act that protects people who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, And then we also um, interact with the executive agencies to talk with them about how to protect religious liberty, family, um, and life. And we coordinate a lot with some of our allies in the movement to keep keep abreast of what's developing in the states, because oftentimes we see trends in the states um, then leading to what happens at the Supreme Court or um, what needs to be done in federal legislation. So the Masterpiece Cake Shop is a great example of that. Yeah, well, that was a great victory, although uh, I hear that uh, uh, the left is uh, going back after uh, Masterpiece Cake again. Uh, so um, the, the fight is is going to have to go on, but I'm interested right. in some in some of your experiences defending religious liberty international. Can you tell us about uh, a couple of those? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I worked extensively on East Asia, um, but I also want to mention cases from a couple other areas of the world. So, in East Asia, I think the country I focused on most was China. And one thing that I think religious believers in America should understand, even though the system is very different in China and America, is that um, religious freedom declines in four distinct stages. 
First, there's social ostracization and hostility towards religious believers that doesn't um, doesn't only come from um, the civil society. It can come from government officials. It can come from the media. Um, it can come from big businesses. And the second second stage is economic discrimination, um, where it's difficult for religious believers to find jobs or have educational opportunities, even enter certain professions at all. And the third stage is when there's um, penalties, legal penalties, criminal penalties against religious believers for um, otherwise peaceful activities. And then the final stage is when there's violence, state-sanctioned violence or um, violence from civil society. And China, you know, has a has a state orthodoxy, which is the Communist Party's ideology, um, and it's an atheist country. So religious believers are excluded from a wide variety of professions. They're not allowed to serve in the government. They're not allowed to be judges. They're not allowed to serve in the military. They're um, kept out of some of the most influential professions in society. So that really limits their um, ability to have an influence on society. So that's how the decline of religious freedom happens. Um, I think there are a couple other cases that I'll mention involving hate speech. So in in Sweden, um, a country where people probably think that religious freedom is very high, I worked on the case of uh, Swedish pastor Ake Green back in uh, the early 2000s. He was a Pentecostal pastor, and he preached a sermon about um, the Bible's views on homosexuality, and he was prosecuted under Sweden's laws for causing offense on the basis of sexual orientation and was actually convicted and sentenced to a year in prison. And that case was eventually appealed to the European Court of Human Rights and the law firm I worked for at the time, Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, um, filed an amicus brief in um, the case. And ultimately, the, the European Court did overturn his conviction because of their protection of religious freedom. But it's a very alarming case because we see these hate speech laws proliferating throughout Europe. Um, we've seen prosecutions of multiple members of uh, the clergy of different faiths. We also see that in Latin America. And, and now at United Nations, the independent expert on sexual orientation and gender identity is calling for all countries in the world to adopt hate speech laws that would lead to the prosecution of religious leaders for statements they make that are offensive on the basis of sexual orientation. And as we've seen in some of these cases, it could just be affirming support for the biblical view of marriage that's between a man and a woman. Well, and, and also those same uh, calls for uh, hate speech uh, restrictions uh, also are used against Christians by Muslims. Is, is that correct, too? Well, yes, there's a case of Ajay Bibi, who's in Pakistan. She's a Catholic woman. She's been on death row for over eight years under um, a blasphemy charge. She was with her Muslim co-workers, and she apparently tried to drink from the same cup as they did, and they were deeply offended by this, and they brought a charge of blasphemy against her, saying that she defamed the Prophet Muhammad, and there's no evidence that she did that. But nevertheless, she was convicted. Um, and I want to point out that she was defended by a Muslim um, minister in the government who was also assassinated because he really, you know, put his own career and his own life on the line for her. And so 
that law continues to exist in Pakistan, and there are Muslims who are trying to overturn that law and prevent religious minorities like Christians from being prosecuted for it. But they are still a tiny minority, and and they pay a price as well when they try to defend religious freedom. So she's still on death row, and the government of Pakistan, the new government of Pakistan, has just said that they plan to bring a resolution at the United Nations that's been percolating for a while. It's kind of had ups and downs, and it's a defamation of religion resolution at the UN that would basically be a hate speech law um, with regards to religion. So if you are seen as saying anything that's offensive to Islam, um, that would that would be a violation of the defamation of religion resolution. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of the law firm of Malkin Baker. Today, Emily Cow of the Heritage Foundation is speaking to us about religious freedom and why it's important. And uh, I just asked you about how uh, these hate speech laws can not only be used um, against all religions, but used by one religion against the other. But I also want to uh, ask your uh, view of the uh, persecution not only of Christians in China that you were talking about, but of Muslims, uh, particularly out in the uh, western part of uh, China. Yes, well, the Uyghur Muslims are suffering terribly under um, the current government. There are very credible reports that the surveillance of them includes um, even having government officials living in their homes, um, that they're, they've been put into um, detention camps. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that the government doesn't see that its repressive action um, could lead to the thing that they are most worried about, which is the radicalization of Muslims. Um, the Uyghur Muslims have unfortunately been uh, experiencing repression of their peaceful religious activities for many years. There, when I worked at the State Department, some of the reports we received were that Muslim men were forced to shave their beards Muslim children in school were were forced to eat food when they were when they wanted to fast for Ramadan, um, and these kinds of violations of religious freedom, I think most people can understand how deeply offensive that is, um, and so it is unfortunate that the government is taking such repressive actions, and I am yeah concerned that it will undermine their their goals of actually fighting fighting against terrorism and radicalization. And uh, your work in religious freedom throughout uh, the world, uh, we have about a minute left in this segment, but um, isn't it important that, we're, that we work for not only religious liberty for Christians, but also for Jews and for Yazidis and for Muslims and for all religious groups uh, equally around the world? Absolutely, because religious freedom is strengthened for everyone when it's strengthened for any group. And conversely, it's weakened for everyone when it's weakened for any group. And uh, I've been very glad to see that Ambassador Sam Brownback, our new U.S. Ambassador for International Religious Freedom and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, have really made an effort to bring attention to the persecution of um, many religious groups, not only Christians, to the Yazidis um, who are persecuted under ISIS in the Middle East to the Rohingya Muslims who are suffering great persecution in Burma. Thank you. Coming up, we will talk further with Emily Cow's passion for defending religious liberty 
and how we can prepare to defend it. You are listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, partner of the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Emily Cow, religious freedom defender and director of the Center for Religion and Civil Society at the Heritage Foundation. Welcome back, Emily. Thank you. Uh, now, you've told some really horrific uh, stories about what happens uh, to religious minorities, uh, persecuted religions around the world. Uh, but uh, how does the United States, and so, you know, what we are experiencing here in the U.S. doesn't uh, compare at all, but how, what do you see in terms of uh, religious liberty here in the United States? Well, I think that the United States has always taken its own path, which is the path of freedom because of the history of the United States, because our founders fled from theocracies. And so they established robust protection of religious freedom in our Constitution, which basically is that the state cannot enforce an orthodoxy. It cannot tell religious believers or anybody what is sacred. We each get to decide that for ourselves. And most of the world does not follow that path. They follow the path of state-sanctioned orthodoxy. However, I think it's important for the U.S. to stay on the path of freedom and not go down the path of state-sanctioned orthodoxy. And I'm concerned by some of the trends that we see now that the U.S. um, could go down the path of state-sanctioned orthodoxy if people don't recognize the threat of that. Because I think there are extremists in the United States who are trying to impose uh, state-sanctioned orthodoxy, particularly with regard to um, issues of sexuality and marriage and the family, on people who are nonconformist to that ideology. Okay. And uh, I heard you earlier uh, in the first segment talking about the stages of the uh, restriction of religious liberty. And uh, the first uh, stage of that you gave as, as kind of a social ostracism or social uh, sanctions, and uh, the second as being economic sanctions. And do you see any of that in the U.S. today? Unfortunately, I, I see that we've moved very quickly from the first stage of the social hostilities to the second stage of economic discrimination. I think the social hostilities most people are probably familiar with because um, if they do have a traditional view of marriage or the family and sexuality, they may have already experienced that social hostility from their friends, their families, and coworkers. Um, I was just at a university campus at a law school where the students told me the hostility that they face from their classmates and their professors leads them to censor themselves and not speak up in class about what they really believe. Um, I think, you know, it's come from high-level government officials. We saw um, the former head of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission compare religious liberty to, um, he said it was basically a cover for all forms of bigotry, for homophobia, for racism, Mm -hmm. sexism. Um, We've seen in the Senate confirmation hearings tremendous amount of hostility towards um, people of faith and, you know, questioning about their religious beliefs on abortion, on um, same-sex marriage, um, on issues of uh, eternal salvation. And, and that's, it, 
completely inappropriate because we know that you know, there is a, a prohibition on religious tests for office. And then, of course, we have, you know, the cultural cronyism from Hollywood and from the big businesses, you know, major businesses in America like Apple, Facebook, and Google have opposed Religious Freedom Restoration Acts in the states, and they have um, all thrown their support behind legislation in Congress that would make sexual orientation and gender identity um, the new meaning of the word sex and rewrite the Civil Rights Act. And it would lead to a lot more litigation, like the kind of uh, lawsuit that Jack Phillips went through in Masterpiece Cake Shop. Well, that leads me to the second, uh, your second category, which was economic sanctions. It <clears> certainly <throat> seems that uh, uh, Masterpiece Cake suffered a, an economic sanction uh, by virtue of, uh, of these laws. Yes, he did. He lost 40% of his business because he had to stop baking wedding cakes at all because he wouldn't bake wedding cakes for same-sex marriages. Um, Baronel Stutzman, a florist in Washington State, uh, was um, sued by the Attorney General, who's also threatened to take away not only her business, but her life savings, her, her home and her retirement accounts. And in Oregon, um, the owners of a bakery there, Sweet Cakes by Melissa, they were fined $130,000 by the government of Oregon. And it's not only in the wedding industry, unfortunately. Um, I, could, I could list seven professions where people have been either fired or demoted from their positions. And then we could talk more about the legal profession if, if you have time. But um, <laughs> in emergency services, in farming, in the military, in medicine, in counseling, um, and in being a judge. I think or a teaching. I think teaching is and an teaching. area too, uh, where the education schools are, um, uh, you know, are very liberal, and so have kind of teach have taught this um, more liberal ideology. Um, yes. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of Malkin Baker, and we're speaking with attorney Emily Cow about religious liberty and why it's important for everyone. Uh, one, one area that we are working on right now is trying to protect those counselors who might, um, who are approached by people with a uh, same-sex attraction who want to be free of that. These are adults who have made that decision. And uh, in many states, the laws are now trying to prevent uh, at least licensed counselors from doing this. And uh, so this is an area that, that we're looking at ourselves as lawyers. Um, now, uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, the Attorney General, recently announced a new Religious Liberty Task Force. And, you know, why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because he's showing leadership from the top um, to try and counteract what he described as a dangerous trend um, that is repressing the freedom of religious believers. It sends uh, not only strong guidance to the federal government, but I think it sends a strong message to the states that religious liberty is still our first freedom and that it is to be protected. Um, we see in the states, in addition to the cases in the wedding industry that we talked about, we see that several states and cities are shutting down faith-based adoption agencies. So... We've seen that in Massachusetts, in Illinois, in California, Washington, D.C., 
now in um, Philadelphia. This is at a time when our country needs more foster parents than ever for the nearly 440,000 children in foster care, and that number is growing because of the opioid crisis. And because these agencies place children with a mom and a dad because they think every child deserves to grow up with a mother and a father, uh, the city and the state governments are shutting them down under their sexual orientation non-discrimination provisions. Uh, well, what uh, what are some of the big areas uh, where you're watching uh, for violations of religious liberty, and uh, and how can we uh, really combat that? Well, I think the area of economic discrimination is very important for us to keep an eye on because it's not only the importance to every individual who loses their job or is denied a promotion because of their religious belief. It's the cumulative effect of that, which is that if it's not stopped, if those trends are not stopped, then religious believers will be completely excluded from going into certain professions. So during the oral arguments for Masterpiece Cake Shop, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said to Jack Phillips, then just don't participate in weddings. So her solution to the conflict between his beliefs and the state of Colorado's beliefs was just that he should completely exit that industry. Now, you can imagine what would happen if, you know, that trend moved from, you know, bakers and florists and photographers then to, you know, lawyers and counselors and teachers and doctors. So we see with the legal profession, the ABA model rule 8.4G will impose a speech code on lawyers. It will rewrite the existing rules and could lead to discipline of lawyers who say anything that's seen as um, harmful uh, or derogatory to people based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, our firm is, uh, is working, at least in the Illinois version of that uh, ethical code, to try to reduce the concerns. But yes, that's a real concern. Um, and uh, if you're confronted with uh, discrimination or a violation of, re of your religious liberty, what's a good, uh, good advice to give to those people? Well, people need to make their voices heard. So they should, um, in addition to exercising their right to vote, I think it's you know, important for them to find good legal counsel if they think that they've had um, a violation of their rights. Well, this is certainly one of the things that uh, Mauk and Baker does, and uh, we are involved in uh, quite a few uh, of these cases, um, including free speech at the University of Illinois right now. Uh, well, Emily, thank you very much uh, for this time. We could have uh, gone on for quite a while, but if you have a legal need or question and want to, the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Mauk and Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. Again, that's 312-726-1243 or at maukbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Mauk and Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals with their legal needs. Call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. have to save somebody 
Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 